Let's do it. Let's go. Let's go in. No, go on. What were you going to say? No, because it's going to irritate you during the podcast and that'll be part of the tension. What were you going to say? Because- Just say it. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast and Ringer FC. I'm Mesut Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hunt. Ryan, how are you doing? <laughs> Honestly, I'm a, I'm a bit tired. Really? Why are you tired? Tired of your ball. No, I'm not. Uh, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> it's my birthday this week and I keep having weird existential dreams. I woke up super early this morning out of one. It was very strange. So that's how I am. How are you, Musa? I am very well indeed. Of course I'm, you are. Of course. I'm just good vibes, good energies. I'm just very happy. <laughs> I had a great weekend. I had, shout out to Cupcake Berlin. I had three of their lovely sea salt caramel cakes. Space Hashtag. Three days. Not an ad. Not an ad. Um, I saw Zane shake. Shout out to Zane. We hung out and talked about Liverpool and what they can do to evolve next season. That was fun. I'm actually writing about that for the ringer. So look you out are. for that. And yeah, like, you know, United lost to Chelsea in the FA Cup semi-final, but the best team won. So you can't even be bitter about that. Well. We are going to talk about that in a little bit because first we have to do some admin. So okay. if you're listening to this on the Stadio feed, this will be the last preview that goes up before we are off the feed. However, we will probably put another small episode on the feed before we are exclusively on the Ringer FC Spotify feed. Uh, second of all, Stadio theme music is available for sale on Bandcamp, stadio.bandcamp.com. We're donating all the money. Uh, it's a minimum of three euros. You want to go buy it? Go buy it, please. And I think that's everything. I think so. Oh, c- competition. Oh, yeah. Let's do it now. The results of our first ever Stadio competition. So we, on the last episode, we said we were going to give away a copy of Caracom magazine, which has your essay in it about playing for Stonewall. Yep. Shout out to Caracom, the brilliant magazine run by Callum Jacobs out of London. If you want to go and support it anyway go to caracom.uk you can buy digital and physical issues from there we had some really really great entries they were amazing actually some of them were very oh, teared up on a few <laughs> it's just really great seeing people recall why favorite players are their favorite players yeah so personal that's what yeah it's so great yeah so i want to say a massive thanks to everyone who submitted for it but obviously we can only have one winner so our winner of issue two of Caracol magazine is Veronica Holloway. And this is her entry. My choice for favorite footballer is Japanese international and Chicago Red Stars attacker, Yuki Nagasato. Not only has her technical ability and field vision helped her country win a World Cup, but in the 2019 season, her eight goals and eight assists, many linking up with Sam Kerr, got the Red Stars to their first NWSL final. The football is beautiful. But what really sets her apart for me is her ability to nurture team chemistry and be an incredible teammate. Throughout the Challenge Cup, she has made paintings for several team members. She calls Alyssa Nea badass, Casey Short trouble, refers to herself as a goofy bitch. <laughs> and, in the, and in the days before COVID-19, her teammates would often go to see her band play. She plays drums. She is just dope. It's perfect. I don't... We saw that one and we were just like, has to be that. Like it's has long, to but has, to be, has to be that, has to be that. 
taking out identifying who it was and the final she is dope, it's three sentences. That's perfect. So fair play, Veronica. So Veronica, Veronica Holloway, we'll be in touch and we'll get this posted out to you. Uh, Veronica is in Chicago. Oh, that's why oh, That's why she was going on about a Red Stars thing. There we go, Red Star. <laughs> on to the football. We're going to start with the FA Cup semi-finals. Should we start with Manchester United, Chelsea? Uh, Manchester United won, Chelsea three. A little bit surprised at the result? I'm surprised at the size, the scoreline. Chelsea have got really good attacking depth. Mm. What's interesting is United's attacking depth, or United's, well, United's like reserves are significantly less effective than their first team. Mm. And when you make that many changes as United, I mean, they, you take out Pogba for Fred. Fred is many things, but he's not Pogba. You take out Martial for Daniel James. James is not someone that kind of creates his own opportunities to the extent that Martial does. He's not as dynamic a threat. I thought Odenigalo was unlucky not to start. And I thought he would have been a better complement for Rashford's gifts because he got two up front. You go with two conventional forwards, but James is not really that. He's kind of a wide forward, really. So United started on the back foot. And look, this is the thing. It's a really, I think uh, Cheeky Ball Boys, Bob wrote, and he, he asked, did capitalism kind of win in this game? And both teams were clearly prioritizing, I think, Champions League. And that's fair to say. But Chelsea's superior you know, we've criticised Chelsea in this podcast before for the lack of depth. Well, not the lack of depth, the lack of balance. I think it's the thing. Chelsea have a lack of balance in this squad and United have a lack of depth. But Chelsea's credit, you know, the midfield has been criticised, but I thought really Jorginho and Kovacic were really, really good, really solid in midfield and just deserved that win. I think, you know, a two-goal margin of victory in the end was, they were good value for that, Chelsea. Very good value for that. Two quite big De Gea errors, I think, for the goals. Horrible. For the first two. Horrible errors. I mean, the first one I can kind of understand a little bit because of just how um, how close Giroud is to is to De Gea. Mm. But the Mason Mount one was really kind of poor from De Gea. And I actually wrote a thing on Twitter saying that, you know, is there a position in football more so than goalkeeper where reputation gets you picked instead of merit in a way? And it, I think it's especially relevant at international level because if you look around Europe this year maybe the last two seasons actually I'd say that potentially Spain France Germany and England haven't been playing their best goalkeepers at international level yeah that's very fair it really does take goalkeepers a lot longer to be dropped on form I think now obviously there's a caveat to that in that any goalkeeping error usually ends up with higher consequences can I sound harsh here with De Gea when he doesn't have to think about the goalkeeper that he was he still makes the outstanding saves Mm. When he has time to reflect on that, like if you look at like these goals, these mistakes, they, they rest, they're fairly similar. They're all like where he sees the ball coming from a distance. And I think there's almost, I don't, I'm not an expert on this stuff. Don't get me wrong, I'm not I'm sort of a cod psychologist, but you know, he made a very, very good save in that game. And he mm. made some very yeah, good did, saves yeah. in previous games. Like he makes the really, really outstanding stuff still. The stuff where it's like, you know, blink of an eye, you see him again. You, all of a sudden you see, De, you know, De Gea and the Bernabeu making his outstanding saves. You see that guy again. But when someone shoots from 20 yards, there's almost an anxiety there. Yeah, you're basically saying he's quite an instinctive goalkeeper. When he's instinctive, tip it over the bar and he's like, okay, that's the De Gea we recognise. 
I think he's starting to fear his next mistake. This has been a kind of consistent decline in form since that season that Manchester United finished second under Mourinho. Can I be honest though, when you drop a goalkeeper, I think the reason why it's done so rarely across teams and across countries is because it's the knowledge that it is terminal. And it's the kind of thing mm. you don't make your thing, you don't work your way back from because look at Jim Layton when he was dropped for Les Seeley by Manchester United back in the, um, the FA Cup replay in 1990, I think it was. Yeah. Three all, he, he made a mistake in the, um, in a three all draw. And Ferguson looked at that and he'd worked with Jim Layton for a long time. He'd worked with Aberdeen as well. So this is a guy that he'd backed for years and Jim Layton never really made it back to his prominence after that. When you drop a goalkeeper, unfortunately, it's kind of like putting them out to pasture. Like for us, mm. you drop a striker, you drop a, you know, if you're a striker, Gary Nicker says it best, you, you get a chance to redeem yourself with the next play. Well, this, well, this is why I wonder whether maybe football could benefit from a culture shift in terms of the stigma around dropping goalkeepers. Yeah. Yeah. A, I think it would actually probably benefit elite clubs more so because you could then spread games amongst two absolutely top level goalkeepers if you wanted to. Yep, yep. But I do wonder whether that's something that maybe football is behind on because ultimately if you have two goalkeepers and especially with the way that goalkeeping is going, how today's goalkeepers could probably play midfield in a number of past eras. Mm, yeah, true, true. So... I do wonder whether that's a possible slash interesting footballing evolution to come. Oh my God. Where there is no one, there is no number one and number two. The concept of the number one and number two is gone. That's such a brilliant thought, Ryan. And I'm, I'm now thinking that someone like, whoever the new Guardiola is, will do a thing like that because a new goalkeeper in the middle of a game, especially with the five subs rule, it gives a new set of problems, a mm. different style of distribution, you know, or a goalkeeper that kicks off a different foot. And so all of a sudden the distribution changes. That is so interesting. I mean, if you look at it from an Arsenal perspective, and we'll touch on Arsenal in a minute, at the moment they have their number two goalkeeper, Emi Martinez there, who has been at the club a long time. Emi Martinez is a brilliant shot stopper and he's a big, imposing goalkeeper. He's, he, as we saw with Arsenal's first goal on Saturday, he's also not bad right. in possession. Not bad at all, yeah. However, I do think that Bernd Leno is an all-round more gifted kind of distributor of the ball. You could say, for example, if football evolved in a tactical sense, say Arsenal were 3-0 up in a game and they knew that Man City, actually, the Man City game was probably a prime example. Mm. Say if Bernd Leno had been in goal for that, had started that game in goal, as soon as Arsenal went 2-0 down, you could make an argument for then bringing on someone like Martinez because you know that Arsenal are going to be under a lot of pressure and able to make saves. Now, to be honest, I think it's something that Leno could do anyway because Leno is a brilliant goalkeeper and I think actually quite an underrated goalkeeper. Mm. I'd be interested to know from people within the game who are obviously <laughs> far more informed than we are, whether that is something that's even come up in conversations or whether the data actually there is there to suggest it. It may be that they have obviously looked at it and I mean, they, I imagine they have. There's probably a very good reason Do you know what, why it's There is happened. some tactical geek who is itching to try it. There is someone who is absolutely, I reckon, not, can I be honest with you? I think there's a WhatsApp group the managers are all part of and they're like, oh, I really want to do this. And it's like, actually, let's let Bielsa do it first. He's wild enough to try it. There's all these things that they want to do. And the second Bielsa does it like, wow, we've got permission from dad. Now we can all run wild. <laughs> well, I want to praise Frank Lampard as well and Chelsea because I thought there were a number of really key yes. Chelsea performances. I think Olivier Giroud has been in really, really good form. Yep. We actually had a tweet from Rodri Evans who said, just some Reese James love, please. Been given a lot of unnecessary stick from our fans this season. 
as have the rest of our academy boys. I reckon he's our right back for a decade or more. Yeah, that's a big shout uh, just because right back is such a contested role, but I was really impressed by him. I thought he did a great job. Yeah, I thought he was really impressive. Let's move on to Arsenal and Manchester City because this was the second time in a week that Arsenal had beaten one of the top two, Mm. registering about 30.5% possession overall, having a total of six, no, seven shots, scoring four goals and winning both games. This was really impressive though. I think this was more impressive than the Liverpool game. Oh, considerably. This was the Liverpool game you could see at one point, you could see Liverpool being out of sight. But this, this was a demonstration. Arteta knowing, having worked with Pep, but also his tactical work himself, knowing that with City, the only room you'll get against City is really high up the pitch. So you draw them in, you switch the ball. I mean, that opening goal is one of the best goals Arsenal has scored in the last 10 years. It's one of the, Yeah, I think yeah. it's a really, really, really clever goal. It's an important goal. It's a really important goal because now he has a blueprint. He'll be like, you see this? This is what I'm talking about. This is how it works. And the beauty is two completely different goals. One drew this thing and one was on the cat. Well, both were kind of, well, one was sort of like drawing and drawing, playing from the back. And the other one was more of a classic counter. But that again, like Tierney down the line to Aubameyang, that whole move, all of it is just unbelievable. When you're getting the best performances from your best players and significantly improving players who under previous managers were not at that level, and Granite Chaka, obvious example, David Luiz, another great example, then you're, cook- mm. you're cooking with gas. You're cooking I mean, with I gas. think actually Mustafi has arguably been Arsenal's best centre-back this season. I've always kind of liked Mustafi though. I've, I've always said this. I've always said that there is a very good player in there well, we've seen this from Valencia days. There's always been a really good player. Yeah. There. there are some players like Mustafi's like Dejan Lovren, like the surrounding circumstances are really important. If you get those right, he's almost like a kind of, Mustafi is a kind of um, a litmus test for what's going on around him. That mm-hmm. sounds like a slight criticism if it's not meant to that. Like not every player is a kind of all weather, alpha, prosper in any circumstance. Not every, there's very, very few centre-backs like that. Like, you know, Billy Costa-Curta wasn't like that for AC Milan. Mm. Costa-Curta needed that steadying hand alongside him with Baresi, right? But when you had the right circumstances around Costa-Curta, he was brilliant. And Mustafi's like that, same kind of energy. Mm. And it's to Arteta's credit that he's created the surrounding circumstances for Mustafi to be the quality of player that I've always seen in him at his best. Uh, we had quite a lot of fun during that game on Twitter on Saturday. Just <laughs> but in all seriousness, after the game, I posted a thing just saying that the most impressive thing about that, but also the Liverpool game, I think was, we actually said it, I think it might have been on the last episode, that the Liverpool result was impressive from a mentality point of view, not necessarily from a, a, an actual performance technically. You know, we said that Arteta needed one of those statement wins. And I think you could see the benefit of getting a statement win like that in the performance on Saturday. Mm. There is something there when you win a game against a top side in such a different way that you're used to playing. I think it then becomes easier to start to build. I think you're seeing the benefit of having someone there who people really want to trust and really want to listen to. And we said this before, you know, Arteta has, is one of the few people who could have walked into that job with, despite not having the qualifications, having the kind of respect from working under Pep but also that has the authority to say stuff like after the game saying, yeah, I told the board they need to spend. 
and be comfortable with that and be comfortable going against the board because ultimately all of that board at Arsenal with Raul Sanyei and Edu and all of these people coming in, they're still, even Edu really, because he's quite new in the job, they're not as much of, they're not as Arsenal, if you like, in quote marks as Arteta was because he literally lifted trophies with them and captained the club. He put them on notice. He really, I think it was really interesting that he did that. I quite like having someone who isn't afraid to get a little bit spiky yeah. in public there. It's very pet. You know? It's very pet. Can I be honest? I think, I wonder if Arteta was kind of Pep's new Tito Villanova in terms of that closeness, mm. but also seeing as a successor. And that's why he was so upset when he left. Like you now understand in a very short space of time why Pep was probably even angry, not just at losing him to a competitor, but I think it's deep in that with Guardiola. I think he's trying to build something in the city that goes beyond him. And mm-hmm. Arteta was the natural successor. Like he would have just slotted in after Pep, 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 Pep was like, that's the next guy. Like he would have nominated him. Cause like you can see, you can see how Arteta at City would have worked and might even have made defensive improvements because it's no coincidence that defensive midfield triangle. I always talk about triangles, but that Chaka, Mustafi, Louis axis, if you'd said that axis would hold firm against Man City, in an F- he said, if he said a year ago, that axis would hold firm against Man City in the FA Cup semi-final, people would have laughed at you. They would have. With City in that form, and I know it's a one Maybe a year ago, there was probably a lot more goodwill there, but obviously, it's a thing. one-off game, yeah. But, but, but I, I, yeah. I just think that Arteta, I mean, I, I actually sent a screenshot of some of his comments in his um, post-match interview to some friends of mine in the WhatsApp group and I said, look at this. Isn't this amazing to see football being talked about like this? The way he discusses mm-hmm. football being merely the way of finding, the finding of, it's merely the finding of spaces. And I was just like, yeah, like that, that's, that's how you talk about football. That's how you talk about yeah. football. I mean, going back to what you're saying about Pep wanting to, him to be his successor, I think you've seen it. Like Pep is, since Arteta left, Pep's touchline get up has got erratic. <laughs> like he's dressing like someone who's gone through a breakup. <laughs> It is a, it is, (laughs) it is, it's very um, ill-fitting t-shirts. I mean, what's that about? Good to see him rocking a French tuck though. I'm all for more queer eye and football crossover. So anyone rocking a French tuck, as as Tam would say, just elevating himself to the very best version of himself. But yeah, talking about best versions, are we going to see the best version of, I mean, City are going to punch back next year, but how much longer does Pep go on there? Like if they do Champions League, he's out, I reckon. This is the end of his fourth season at Manchester City, right? The only other place he did four seasons was Barcelona and it nearly ruined him. Honestly, as gifted as that squad is, I think there are issues there. I think they really need another striker and I think they need to address some issues in defensive areas. Defensive midfield and defence, they certainly have to address. Yeah, and I, th- and I think they actually could do with offloading a couple of people as well yeah I think so let's take a break let's do it don't forget if you want to check this episode in full and all of the other Stadio episodes in full go to the Ringer FC Spotify feed there's a link in the description of your podcast app say hi Musa how's it going (laughs) 